0: Reading 1 John 5 6 through 12. This is He who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify the Spirit, and the water, and the blood, and these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater for this is the testimony of God that he has born concerning, concerning his son. Whoever believes in the son of God has a testimony in, in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has born concerning his son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his son. Whoever has a son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life this is the word of the lord
1: let's pray father thank you for um thank you for that last song god just the uh the reminder that um that we need remembering of your, uh, we need to remember um, uh, your faithfulness. And Lord, uh, thank you that you are, in fact, our refuge uh, and our strength. And um, Lord, I thank you also for your patience with us that uh, particularly in times of uh, trial and suffering, um, Lord, we forget uh, and we need to be reminded of your faithfulness, and your goodness, and your kindness, and to be reminded, God, that we are your sons and daughters, uh, your beloved sons and daughters, in whom you are well-pleased because of our union with Christ. And so, God, that's my heart, my desire this morning, God, that would you encourage us, would you remind us of your faithfulness this morning. Would you remind us that you are a refuge um, and you are our strength? And so God, please, uh, Spirit of God, just um, bring a deep reminder to our souls. Whatever we came in with this morning, God, um, I pray that uh, we would leave with uh, a greater understanding of your love for us and your faithfulness and that... um, and the testimony that resides in us. We love you. We thank you that you loved us more. And all God's people said, amen. Is Stephen here? You know, can I just like have you stand up here during the sermon? Like It just makes everything better when you're standing here. Like, and then I can put the mic in front of your face, and I can, you can talk when I talk to you like that. No, I don't, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Well, hey, we are, uh, as Pat says, we are in the second-to-last sermon in 1 John. We're going to finish it up um, next week. And um, t- uh, this passage today was, has actually been a bit of a challenge for me, a bit of a challenge to try to understand um, exactly um, what John is uh, trying to tell us, his readers. Um, but the beauty of it, of any passage in the Bible, is that there's no standalone verse and there's no standalone paragraph, and there's no standalone chapter, and there's no standalone letter. That it's all connected. So what's been really helpful for me today is just to just to ponder back and remember the purpose of John's letter to believers like you and I, and that's to strengthen us and to encourage us and to um, remind us of um, of our blessed assurance. And um, so I've titled this sermon today a life sentence. A life sentence. And um, have any of you ever sat on a jury before? Um, a few of you have. I never have. I've only been called to jury duty um, three times, I think. Might, might have been twice, might have been three times, all in Weld County. And um, I don't know if they see me coming or they look at my past record or whatever, but I never make it past the first 10 minutes. They say, okay, yep, hi, you're Dan, sign here, you're out of here. Uh, but I've, I've always, I'm, I'm fascinated with juries. I'm fascinated with the whole courtroom scene and, and how, it all, how it all works. Um, I like watching movies about courtroom scenes. I like to see um, how the witnesses testify and how they're cross-examined. And, um, and then the pressure the jury must have, I know one uh, good friend of mine just sat on a jury and just got to see the pressure of, that she experienced by sitting on that jury to have to make a decision, to have to weigh the witness's testimony and determine if there is a, um, if there's a reason to believe them, and then to bring down the gavel, or so to speak, and uh, tell them whether they're innocent or guilty. One thing I learned in talking to an attorney friend of mine yesterday is that the jury is an arbiter of the truth, not the law. The judge is the arbiter of the law. In other words, the jury's job isn't to determine if the law is right or wrong. The jury's job is to determine whether the witness is telling the truth or not, and if the defendant is innocent or guilty. The jury is an arbiter of the truth. Some of us may never have had the privilege of serving on a jury. Most of us haven't. And being forced to make a decision on the knowledge acquired from the testimony given. But every day, in a sense, we are on a jury. Um, Every day we rely on the testimony of others as we evaluate their testimony and make decisions based upon the knowledge that we've gleaned. We accept someone's testimony every time we take their word for something whether this be ordinary conversation or our reliance on experts in any field, think of exercise, diet, doctors, um, schooling, sunscreen. We do this probably a hundred times every way in trivial ways or, or sometimes in more important ways. We all rely on the facts for which we only have other people's testimony to know if they are really facts or not. Should I wear sunscreen? There's a debate in my family. Like, I've had skin cancer, just had it now for the third time. And um, like, just I was in Mexico, four hours in the sun. I'm going to keep doing that, because I don't believe the doctors. <laughs> hey, and I'm married, and if I got half my face missing, it's not that big a deal. Should I eat meat, or should I be a vegetarian? There's some experts that, um, that say that you should never eat meat. There's some that say that you should only eat meat. Should I get a knee replacement? There's experts that can tell you whether to get a knee replacement or not. Is my child telling the truth? Wow. You've got one child that says, Mommy, I didn't do it. You've got the other one that says that, yes, he did do it. You, you have to um, determine which child is telling the truth. Or you just do what I did, is that you're both lying. You're both guilty. Bend over boom. And should I extend grace to my child this time, or should I discipline them? John wants you and I to have our facts straight as it pertains to who Jesus is, what He accomplished, and who we are now in Christ. He wants us to have our facts straight so that our joy can be complete so that we may not sin, so that we won't be deceived. He wants us to have our facts straight as to who Jesus is and what he accomplished so that we may know that we have eternal life and so that we may know him. John wants to remind the church of what makes a Christian Christian and how we're to live in response to that profession that we are Christians. And what makes Christian Christian is faith, or belief, or trusting in who Jesus is and what he accomplished. The Christian's response to faith is to, John brings out, is to love God. And the way that John tells us that we love God is that we love other people, particularly brothers and sisters in Christ, and we keep his commandments. And then he reminds us over and over again that we can't muscle it up that this loving God and by loving other people and keeping his demand keeping his commands is fueled by a greater understanding of the gospel and his love for us this response to our faith is fueled by a growing knowledge of who God is and what he accomplished and how he sees you what i love about this book and, what I, and it's so timely for me and it's so timely for all of us is that he, John, wants what God wants for us and that's to experience the fullness of joy that is found in, a, in an abiding relationship with the God who created us and then in turn seeking to please him, not to get anything, but in response to him by loving others and obeying his commands. Today, John will remind us of the facts of who Jesus is. In order to strengthen our faith, to increase our joy, and to abide in the one who has overcome the world. There is a point in time where every Christian had to make a decision whether the gospel was true or not. There's a point in time where every Christian needed to understand the gospel and make a decision whether they believed it or not. It was either yes or it was no. And in a sense, particularly in the midst of trials and suffering and brokenness in this world, we need to revisit what we once believed in order to stand firm in the faith and to experience the fullness of joy. Here's what I mean by that. This is the picture that's in my head is this. We're going to walk through this, this courtroom scene where the witnesses testify. There's three witnesses, the water, the blood, and the spirit. And they testify to who God is, who Jesus is. And the, the jury, so to speak, every human being has to make a decision whether those witnesses are telling the truth or not. And every human being has to come to a decision point in putting their faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins. But I was thinking about a witness in a, in a court of law that, that or a, excuse me, a jury in a court of law who um, voted that a person is guilty. And they were unanimous. And then three months later, I can imagine um, that, that, um, that jury member not remembering, like, why did I convict this person? Like, I feel bad about it. He spending the rest of his life in jail. And he had to go back to the facts. He had to go back and hear the witnesses to believe and remember that he made the right decision. And it's the same with you and I in our faith that we, we are prone to wander, we're prone to not remember. And particularly um, when there is pain and death and suffering, and we start believing that God isn't good, and He isn't loving, and He isn't kind. Have you ever been in that place? At some level, we all have, if you're honest. Because at times, life sucks. At times, life we can't make sense of the pain and suffering in life. In order to be reminded that Jesus is who he said he is, that God is good and loving and kind, that we are who God says we are, we've got to go back and we've got to listen to the testimony of the witnesses that bear witness to the truth of who God is. So in this short seven verses today, testimony or testify is mentioned nine times. And in a sense, we're the jury listening to the witnesses testify and determining what is truth. And I would say, especially if you're here today and you have not determined that Jesus is who he said he was, and you have determined that he's not worth following because there's too much to sacrifice, Um, this is for you today. And if you have put your faith and trust in God and you are um, maybe doubting his faithfulness or goodness or kindness, you're not any less his child today, but he wants to remind you of his love and his kindness for you so that you can experience the fullness of joy. I want to read you something that um, this is, and I think it'll be on the screen. I hope it's helpful. It's helpful to me. But in a um, jury in Colorado, this is given to and read to all the jury members. You are the sole judges of the credibility of each witness and the weight to be given to the witness's testimony. YOU SHOULD CAREFULLY CONSIDER ALL OF THE TESTIMONY GIVEN AND THE CIRCUMSTANCES UNDER WHICH EACH WITNESS HAS TESTIFIED. FOR EACH WITNESS, CONSIDER THAT PERSON'S KNOWLEDGE, MOTIVE, STATE OF MIND, DEMEANOR, AND MANNER WHILE TESTIFYING. CONSIDER THE WITNESS'S ABILITY TO OBSERVE, THE STRENGTH OF THAT PERSON'S MEMORY, AND HOW THAT PERSON OBTAINED HIS OR HER KNOWLEDGE. CONSIDER ANY RELATIONSHIP THE WITNESS MAY HAVE TO to EITHER SIDE OF THE CASE and how each witness might be affected by the verdict. Consider how the testimony of the witness is supported or contradicted by other evidence in the case. You should consider all the facts and circumstances shown by the evidence when you evaluate each witness's testimony. You may believe all of the testimony of the witness, part of it or none of it. And I would submit to you that if you Uh, believe none of it um, I want to encourage you to believe all of it and if you once believed all of it and you're now only believing part of it God is calling you today believer to be reminded of his faithfulness of his kindness of his love towards you last week John reminded his readers that because Jesus has overcome the world so have you overcome the world if you put your faith in him And remember, the the world represents everything that is evil within us and without us. It's our flesh. It's the sin. It's Satan. It's death. And by faith in Jesus, you have been delivered, as we talked about last week, from the what? The domain of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of His beloved Son. That because Jesus has overcome sin and Satan and death, you too have overcome because you've been transferred. You're no longer a resident of the domain of darkness. You are now a resident of Jesus' kingdom. We saw in verse 4 and 5 last week, for everyone who's been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith, not our works, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? The one who who overcomes the world, is the one who has believed in Jesus as the Son of God. John wants his readers to have a growing confidence that faith in Jesus who overcame the world uh, means that we too have overcome the world that sin has no reign in us anymore, has no power. Satan is um, on a leash, that he can only deceive us and chuck lies at us. And this confidence that John wants us to have in who Jesus is, what he accomplished, and who we are, this confidence comes from revisiting the facts. RE-EXAMINING THE EVIDENCE OF WHO JESUS IS AND WHY HE CAME. AND THAT'S WHERE WE'RE AT TODAY. VERSE 6, CHAPTER 5. THIS IS HE WHO CAME BY WATER AND BLOOD, JESUS CHRIST. NOT BY THE WATER ONLY, BUT BY THE WATER AND THE BLOOD. AND THE SPIRIT IS THE ONE WHO TESTIFIES, BECAUSE THE SPIRIT IS THE TRUTH. FOR THERE ARE THREE THAT TESTIFY, THE SPIRIT AND THE WATER AND THE BLOOD. AND THESE THREE AGREE. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones said that these three verses are um, some of the most difficult in all of Scripture, and certainly the most difficult in 1 John. So I say, thanks a lot. Through my study, I'll tell you where I've landed, and, um, and, it, it, and it, um, it corroborates, if you will, with the, uh, with the testimony of most commentators. So, yes, it's Jesus, the Son of God, as he was called in verse 5. He's also the Christ or the Messiah that that John tells us about in verse 6, who came by water and blood. And it's him who we're to trust in, Jesus, who is fully God and fully fully man. So in this trial scene... John uh, purposes to strengthen our faith, increase our joy by reminding us of the reality of who Jesus is and what He accomplished out of His love for us. The witnesses are going to testify to three truths. One is that Jesus identified with humanity. Two is that Jesus died for us. And three, that God, the Spirit of Christ, dwells in us. John said, Jesus, the Son of God, who came by the water and blood is Jesus, is the Christ. So what does it mean to come by water and blood and not water only? There's some disagreement. Some point to that what he's talking about is when when the spear was thrust into the side of Jesus, it's John wrote in his gospel that blood and water poured out. Um, It doesn't seem that that's the case here because he is not saying blood and water as he said in the the fourth gospel. He's saying water and blood. And he's also distinguishing. He says not water only, but water um, and the blood. So what John, once again, what he's most interested in convincing his readers of is that Jesus Christ really is the Son of God incarnate in the flesh who came to overcome the world and save his people. That Jesus is who he said he was. So water, what that means is Jesus' baptism. It refers to his baptism by starting Jesus' public ministry um, by having himself by having John the Baptist baptize him. Jesus identified himself with humanity. It was his first step in public ministry that he got baptized. And Jesus' baptism by John powerfully and dramatically symbolized repentance. You see, what was happening there is that Jews were accepting John's baptism, were admitting that they had been as Gentiles, and they needed to enter into a new land where sin and Satan and death had been overcome. The people were repenting in anticipation of the Messiah's arrival. Listen to Matthew 3, 13 through 15. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. JOHN WOULD HAVE PREVENTED HIM, SAYING, I NEED TO BE BAPTIZED BY YOU, AND DO YOU COME TO ME? BUT JESUS ANSWERED HIM, LET IT BE SO NOW, FOR THUS IT IS FITTING FOR US TO FULFILL ALL RIGHTEOUSNESS. AND THEN JOHN CONSENTED. JESUS STEPPED FORTH INTO THE WATER, THE WATER THAT SYMBOLIZES OUR SIN AND GOD'S JUDGMENT. He stepped into our mess, our wickedness, and the judgment that we deserved. In His baptism, Jesus is identifying with you and I. Jesus is symbolically engulfed by the waters of judgment. And this, there's, a, there's a whole theology on this that if you're interested, you ought to dive in that goes all the way back to creation. It goes back to the flood. It goes back to the waters that spread that delivered uh, the Red Sea, that delivered um, God's people from slavery in Egypt. But we're not going to go into that today. Jesus is declaring, I am with you. It is a sign of the incarnation. It's a sign of him becoming one with humanity. It's him identifying himself with you and I, sinners. It's a precursor or a symbol that He will ultimately bear our sins, and His perfect righteousness will be imputed in us, and our sin will be imputed in Him. And then He continues in Matthew 3, 16 through 17, and when Jesus was baptized, immediately He went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were open to Him. And He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on Him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. What is Jesus doing when God spoke these words? This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. He's dripping with water. And the water symbolizes judgment. He's identifying with sinners like you and I as the drops run down his face. Having passed through the waters of, of, of that symbolize God's judgment, he receives the verdict. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. You're my son. I love you. You give me pleasure. And this, these words, uh, doubting Christian, are for you today because Jesus overcame the world. You too have overcome the world. THAT EVERYTHING THAT IS JESUS IS YOURS, THE FATHER IS HIS, THE FATHER IS YOURS, THAT WE ARE UNITED TO CHRIST through His, THROUGH HIS DEATH AND THROUGH HIS RESURRECTION. NO MATTER HOW MUCH WE MAY BE APPRECIATED BY OTHERS, OR HOW MUCH WE HAVE FELT LOVED BY OUR OWN PARENTS, GOD, OUR FATHER, LOOKS DOWN ON US AND SEES US JUST LIKE HE SAW JESUS ON THAT DAY. As we come out of the baptismal waters of salvation, He sees us through the window of His Son's righteousness. You see, Jesus took on all of our sin and clothed us in all of His righteousness, and Jesus' baptism is symbolizing of that, that He has come to identify with our sin. He didn't need baptized because he was a sinner. He needed baptized to identify with our sin and to identify with the sinners. He tells each of us the same thing, that you are my beloved child. In you I find my delight. He no longer sees your sins and failures. He no longer sees your competing desires and lusts. He sees you as we are in Christ Jesus. That's the water. That's the reminder. He came not by water only, but by water in blood. God incarnate came not only to live the sinless life that we couldn't, but to die the death that we deserved. The work that Father gave him to do, the work for which he was baptized, and the work for which he died, the work for which he became the Messiah, was fulfilled. His work is fully accomplished. And because of our faith, your faith, in this finished work, you have eternal life, and for no other reason. He completed his work, and he gave us the faith to believe it. And the very fact that the death led to the resurrection is proof that Jesus is the Son of God. When we look upon the cross and we listen, what do you hear? It's finished. It is finished. Our debt is canceled, the world has been overcome. We have been delivered from the domain of darkness. Believer, you are no longer in the domain of darkness, but you've been transferred to the kingdom of his beloved son. You've been declared sons and daughters forever. I was thinking about the Kareki's adoption. If you've, ever, if you've not been to an adoption service, you need to go to the next adoption service you're invited to. And last time I checked, everybody's invited to the Kareki's. And what the, what the judge says, this is crazy, the judge says this to the family, are you ready to bring Tyler in to your forever family, to be your forever son? And if the child is old enough to respond, he would say, are you ready to join to become a part of your forever family? See, that's what it is for us, that we are part of God's forever family. There's nothing... Not nor height nor depth, there's no there's nothing that will separate us from the love of God. It's finished. Six B seven and eight. And the Spirit is the one who testifies. The Spirit is the truth. There are three that testify. I mean, John is like, I, he's ADD. Like, there's nothing linear about the way he writes. And I'm like a super linear bullet point kind of guy, so like I'm, you know, I'm having to like take naps in between um, studying this stuff. The Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth, for there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree. He says the Spirit is the first and most important witness for the believer. The Spirit is the one who breathed life into us. The Spirit is the one who dwells in us. The Spirit is the one that is there to help us understand the truth and remind us of our forever adoption as sons and daughters. It's the Spirit who reminds us that God will never leave us nor forsake us. It's the Spirit that indwells the believer at the moment of salvation and will never um, leave us. He's the Spirit of truth. AND ONE OF THE ROLES OF THE SPIRIT IS TO BEAR WITNESS TO THE TRUTH ABOUT JESUS AND A REMINDER OF OUR NEW LIFE IN HIM. ROMANS eight eleven 11 SAYS THIS, IF THE SPIRIT OF HIM WHO RAISED JESUS FROM THE DEAD, let JUST PAUSE RIGHT THERE FOR A MINUTE, THE SPIRIT OF GOD WHO RAISED JESUS FROM THE DEAD, IF THE SPIRIT OF HIM WHO RAISED JESUS FROM THE DEAD DWELLS IN YOU, LIKE HE'S IN YOU, THE SPIRIT OF GOD, who created the universe, who raised Jesus from the dead, um, He dwells in you. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead, He will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. It's a Spirit who breathes life into us. John 16, 13, when the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. FOR HE WILL NOT SPEAK ON HIS OWN AUTHORITY, BUT WHATEVER HE HEARS, HE WILL SPEAK, AND HE WILL DECLARE TO YOU THE THINGS THAT ARE TO COME. IF YOU WANT TO KNOW um, the, THE TRUE WITNESS, THE WITNESS THAT WILL NEVER LIE, IT'S THE SPIRIT OF GOD. AND IT'S THE SPIRIT OF GOD THAT ACTUALLY GIVES YOU UNDERSTANDING OF HIS WORD, WHICH ALSO NEVER LIES. AND THEN PAUL SAYS THIS IN ROMANS eight fifteen through 16 FOR YOU DID NOT RECEIVE THE SPIRIT OF SLAVERY TO FALL BACK INTO FEAR. But you've received the spirit of adoptions as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father, Daddy, Daddy. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. See, Jesus was fully man. Jesus was fully God. Jesus was the Son of God and the Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One. He's the only one who could save us from our sins and overcome the world. And He's the only one that can keep us saved. And He will. In verse 9 through and 10, John says, If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he is born concerning the Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has born concerning the Son. This is the testimony of lesser to greater. This is a general statement that God's testimony is always more important than man's testimony. John, who wrote this, and the other apostles and many others were firsthand witnesses of Jesus' baptism, of His death, of His resurrection. Yet John is telling his readers that these eyewitnesses' testimonies, even though they are true, these testimonies are true, God's testimony through His Spirit is greater. All three witnesses tell the truth, but the witness of God through His Spirit is greater, for God cannot lie, as it says in Titus chapter 1, I believe. John said this in the fourth gospel, chapter 14, these things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name will teach you all things and bring you to remembrance all that I've said to you. Do you need remembering this morning? In the midst of pain and suffering, in the midst of suicides and attempted suicides, in the midst of cancer, in the midst of broken marriages, in the midst of wayward children, do you need a reminder? I do. Do you need a reminder that God is good? That Jesus is exactly who He said He was? That He came that you might have life and have it abundantly? He came to overcome the power of sin and darkness and Satan and death. It's the Spirit of God who reminds us. And then he says after this, after he says he will teach you all things and bring you to remembrance all that I've said to you in John 14, he says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. And if we just kind of... And that when we remember, I could just kind of exhale, exhale. Thank you. I needed that reminder. The testimony is far greater. The Spirit's testimony is far greater than man's testimony. And then in verse 10, he breaks all of humanity up into two groups not Republican and Democrat, not white and black, not rich and poor. But whoever believes and whoever does not believe. You see, there's subcategories, I think, of those who believe. Like we're all sons and daughters. We're all in. We're all secure. We all have the Spirit. But there's different times where we're, where we're struggling with inside of that and maybe doubting. And we've got to go back and remember. But he says this, and I love this. He says, whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever believes in the Son of God accepts the testimony of the three witnesses, that Jesus is who He said He was. Whoever believes, past tense. Whoever has not believed has made God a liar, because he's not believed in the testimony that God has born concerning His Son. And I love the, 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 just the little play on words here, uh, whoever believes is in, whoever does not believe is not in, but there's time to believe. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar. And our job here on this earth, brothers and sisters, in partnering with God, the only one that can save them, is to proclaim the only news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, so that those who have not believed will, by God's power and His Spirit, believe. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar. It's as simple as that. Either Jesus is who he said he was, or he's not. And finally, in 11 and 12, we see the consequences of accepting the testimony. What happens to me as a result of accepting, and remember I I titled this sermon a life sentence. The jury, you and I, who believe the three witnesses... It doesn't mean that doubts don't creep in, but at the end of the day, when we remember, we believe, and we continue to trust in, the, in Christ's finished work on the cross. The jury who believes the three witnesses receives a life sentence. The one in whom the witnesses testified Jesus was innocent, yet he was tried, and he was found guilty, and he was killed. The innocent one actually died for the guilty jury. SO THAT THE BELIEVING JURY WOULD BE SENTENCED TO LIFE, ETERNAL LIFE, LIFE ABUNDANTLY. AND THIS LIFE SENTENCE BEGAN AT THE MOMENT YOU TRUSTED IN JESUS' FINISHED WORK ON THE CROSS FOR THE FORGIVENESS OF YOUR SINS. THIS LIFE SENTENCE IS NOT ONE OF SLAVERY OR DRUDGERY, BUT THIS LIFE SENTENCE THAT'S BEEN GIVEN TO YOU IS AN INTIMATE RELATIONSHIP WITH THE ONE WHO CREATED YOU to be to love to be loved by Him. An intimate relationship with the one who overcame the world. And He says so much in verse 11 and 12. This is a testimony that God has given us. Eternal life. And this life is in His Son. And whoever has the Son has life. He's not talking about ah, fog and a mirror kind of life. He's talking about life in Christ. The victorious life. The abundant life. Not the life without trials, not the life without suffering. It could be a life without money. This isn't a prosperity message. That we can find this this abundant life, this victorious life, this overcoming life in Christ in the midst of anything that He and His providence brings our direction. So this testimony supporting faith in Christ is not a vague spiritual um, inkling. It's not just a feeling. There's substance behind it. It's the message of Jesus' incarnation, His death, and His resurrection through which eternal life has been made available through faith in His Son. I've got like a zillion verses here that I'm going to skip. Life in Jesus fullness of life in Jesus, the fullness of joy through life in Jesus, is, being, is, is recognizing His love for us. And in recognizing His love for us, it's an increasing desire to love others and to obey His commandments. Life in Jesus is the overcoming or abundant life. It's living a life that sees pain, suffering, and death, but knows that Jesus has overcome all of it. (laughs) The witnesses testified to the one who lived a sinless life and died a criminal's death. By believing in these testimonies, the jury receives a life sentence. Brothers and sisters, I'll just close on this, is that Um, He he didn't promise us a life that was going to be smooth. In fact, the, the primary way that He sanctifies us, and I don't fully understand it. I've experienced it, but I don't understand it. The primary way that He sanctifies us and makes us more like Jesus is through pain and suffering and trials. By things not going our way. And we can take heart because He's overcome the world. We can take heart because His Spirit indwells us. That the Spirit that indwells us will see us all the way through. He'll help us get through whatever trial in His providence He determines to bring to us. And He'll bring us all the way through that trial. So it's in remembering. Wherever you're at today... Wherever you're at tomorrow next year, when you have a tendency to doubt um, God's goodness and His kindness and His love for you, um, remember. remember the testimony of the witnesses of the spirit, the blood and the spirit and the, uh, the water, the blood and the spirit. And if you're here today and you're the whoever does not believe, John's got pretty strong words. What you're saying is that God is a liar. You see, C.S. Lewis said that for every human being, we need to make a decision. And that's who who is Jesus? Is Jesus who he said he was? Did he come to accomplish what he said he came to accomplish? And C.S. Lewis said there's only one of one of three responses. Jesus is either a liar, God's a liar, he's a lunatic. Where the third answer is that he truly is a son of God. And if he is a son of God, throw yourself at him. Put your faith in him. And know that your life may not get smoother. But when you remember his love for you, your joy meter is going to hang up here a lot. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for... Um, this passage, God, that when I first read it, I went, "Oh no, um, help me!" And I do thank you, uh, Spirit of God, that you are you are an ever-present help in time of trouble, any kind of trouble. And I thank you for Jesus for the words that you said that um, in this world there will be trouble, but take heart, for I've overcome the world. And um, God, I thank you that um, for this. This uh, initially confusing part, God, that uh, it's really a call to remember, uh, Lord, that even as your children uh, whom you've adopted into your forever family, God, we need a reminder oftentimes that you're a good and faithful and loving daddy and that, uh, that we are your beloved children. And um, so thank you, God, we love you. We thank you that you loved us first and that you love us more. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <laughs>